Dying here. All right. The Trojan Horse. Uh, yeah. The fifth column. I'm, I'm going to have to. Um, he's dug in a while. But I came out because I was sick. And uh, You sound like garbage. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had to record something today, too, that will be. was not for the fifth column, something else, but. Uh, and I sounded like this. So it's not going to be good. Um, anyway. But can you play it like. Uh, so, you know how, like, when your voice is not good when you're singing, you can just sort of, like, yeah. rough it up? Yeah, like yeah. No, this was extra like gravitas. The, the Shane McGowan interview, when I was like, I think AI can fix it. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm presuming it can. Did you um, enthusiastically vote in today's elections in the great state of New York? There was an election today. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Who won? <laughs> I went. I went to my polling place, and these are the options: uh, twelve different judgeships. Almost, oh, yeah. almost all of them, uh, like uh, uncontested Democrat seats, judgeships. So not, but for the judgeships, I mean, obviously these aren't very big deal elections. I was completely unaware that they were going on. Yeah, um, I I'd vote if I had known. Um, but actually, no, I wouldn't vote because if you said that they're all uncontested, if there was one, if like Curtis Sliwa was was mm -hmm. in every one. Or Bernard Getz or something, then I'd be like, you know, we need a change. Well, uh, actually, we so change I, I did. I go. City. I have a straight ticket or a approach towards voting on judges, which I think yeah. nobody should vote on judges. They shouldn't no. be subject to elections. That no. that can't be a good idea. Like no. as bad no. as political no. appointments are, like this is worse. So honestly, what percentage of people who are voting on judges know anything about the judges beyond the people? Um, who are voting because, remember, their family is running. So there's two theories of not voting um, uh, or how to vote if you're going to vote um, on judgeships. One is um, with someone who's, you know, their privacy, I support, so listening to this podcast, um, I want to say that her name rhymes with Shmimanuel Michard. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, it's, it's an Algerian name, isn't it? Shmimanuel um, Michard. And she takes the shorthand of, of like pure New York ethnic politics, yeah, uh, yeah. which is like Italian judge. I'm in because <laughs> yeah. no, yeah. we like no bullshit. Like the Italian, yeah. come on, you know, you know what you get with an yeah, Italian. This is when stereotypes are useful. Like when you're voting for judges. I mean, you have no idea. My approach is yeah, you want a guinea in there. <laughs> I, uh, I don't want a guinea. I don't see guinea. I don't, you know, it's. Uh, As a half guinea, I do indeed. <laughs> but do I you see, see the half people. guineas with the Italian names? Like I don't know, I'll olive skin on under there. It's under the hard hood. to tell in in this day and age with so much inbreeding between Irish and Italian. It's hard to <laughs> I mean, tell if there's like a you've created you know, a new race called yeah, New we, York. Yeah, it's it's called the New York race. It's a super race of people. <laughs> I actually interviewed somebody today in this person um, considerably older than me, and said. Um, we were talking beforehand and, and he's uh, from Rhode Island and a very Italian last name. And uh, he, it turns out he's Irish Italian from Rhode Island, which is, you know, kind of, it's the same. Oh, it's the worst it's though. The it's Rhode Island. It's like, ah, there's a shark or something out here. You know, the thing about Rhode Island people <laughs> is that how bad is it when they want to be Massachusetts people? He said he supported only Boston sports teams. I was like, I know, I know you just, yeah. you know, you have the Providence Bruins. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that. That's, but you don't, and you know, we lost the Pawtucket Red Sox, which is, was the biggest 
disaster that happened to Boston um, since losing Beirut, Beirut, um, and losing Beirut. the Pop Sox. Well, we yeah. lost Beirut. <laughs> we lost Beirut to the Syrians <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, um, so my approach to the judgeships, <laughs> and I want to be clear, like they had an entire election here. And it was the 12 or whatever it was, judgeships and one city council person. That was the mm -hmm. election. So, like, the turnout is going to be 2%, yeah. like, maximum. Um, yeah. So, my approach is only to write in the names of my friends. So, uh, I didn't vote for I mean, this. When you showed up, was the person who was on duty surprised to see you? It was great because it was in the local school, the one that ones that my daughters no longer go to, the one that's yeah. paid for by taxpayers. Um, and, uh, there were, uh, there were, uh, in my 10 minutes in the facility, there were three other voters, but one, of, and they all like, you could go to different, uh, desks depending on your district. And we we're all happened to be in the same district. And the woman in the front happened to be the lady in the Bugs Bunny cartoon. Who's counting out like a million dollars in pennies. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, yeah. like couldn't get it together to figure out like the address and the matching. And then this it was like 10 minutes, but it looked at huge empty gymnasium. Cause why would anyone vote for anything except for my city councilwoman? Um, uh, is, was arrested. She's like a, a democratic socialists of America woman who was arrested at a pro Palestinian, um, uh, rally in, uh, uh, like October 10th or 11th or something like that. Um, yeah. arrested for like blocking traffic and, and, uh, screaming from the river to the sea, uh, in Bryant okay. park, not even in her own yeah, from, from the river to the sea, Cobble Hill will be free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finally, at last. So I was happy to, and I, the, you, uh, you mentioned like East river to the Gowanus Canal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, George Washington, uh, could tell you a little bit about that, uh, that track. It's pretty, uh, pretty amazing stuff. Uh, no, I, uh, I, by chance, I met the opposition. This is the only contested election, the only like representative election that matters in this or that exists in this election. Um, I was walking down the street a couple days ago uh, down my old street uh, 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 where I used to live or around the, uh, the the block from here. And this guy like shuffles up to me and he's like, uh, uh, I, I here you take flyer. Uh, I, I run city council. I, uh, I'm not, no politician, no politician. And his name is like Tadjus Romanowicz or something like that. And he's running as a Republican, a conservative. Cause we have all these parties that like you run on multiple party tickets lines. Um, and he's like, uh, he's the only opposition and he's like, his issue is medical freedom, freedom, whatever that uh, means. Like, yeah, it means COVID. It's like, you know, yeah. fuck vaccine. I don't know. <laughs> I want to pitch a show <laughs> and maybe it's inappropriate now, but pitch a, pitch a show that follows Ismail Haniya from the leader of Hamas who escapes to America and then decides to run in a local race because oh, he can't get politics out of his blood yeah. and he's undercover. And, and, you know, from running for city council in New York, he becomes more conservative. <laughs> he actually, oh, yeah. He's, he just, you think he's going to become, like, he's going to come out of this being like, I love everybody, you know. And it turns out that he, he actually just is more hateful at the uh, end. No, he's like, uh, we, need, we need some uh, uh, citizenship tests uh, before yeah. we get more immigrants <laughs> yeah. in here. By the way, I've been, because, um, you know, the summer's over and I've been in the city so much. Um, been spend most of my time, most of the week in the city. And um, 
I don't know. I don't know if I'm liking it or I can't figure it out at this point. I mean, I'm always enjoying being back in New York City. Well, one thing is, and this is this is something I should ask our hive mind about. I need a new apartment in the city. And it's absolutely impossible to find an apartment. A reasonably priced apartment doesn't exist. And I want to thank the Fed for that because the interest rates are so bloody high that people are just foregoing buying apartments and just renting. So the rental market is tiny as it's always tiny. Um, and it is nearly impossible to find anything and everything you find is just a total nightmare. I would but one nice thing. It was like under the BQE. I would, yeah, uh, I would, uh, you know, um, point out to you, uh, Mr. Moynihan, that, um, there's a, there's, nice, me tips. there's a nice yeah. little bed in the studio, uh, in Chinatown. Yeah. And, uh, and thankfully, uh, Nancy, uh, Rommelman got some professional help in there and finally eradicated the pestilence problem. <laughs> oh, good. I was, I, cause the only problem was that if I'm going to bring anybody back there, yeah, yeah. I'd have to warn them to wear like cleats because yeah. you, there's a lot of mice golf, on there, golf so. cleats. Uh, they're done. Yeah. The, the, the guaranteed, uh, no more mice ever. Uh, yeah. and it looks really nice and it's a, it's, a, it's very nice. Yeah. Very nice we're apartment. not recording that there now, but um, but we're we not. are decided uh, to record tonight. We owed you guys one of these, and um, Camille, I think, is in space. I, I can't mm -hmm. remember. He said so he's either in space or in Gaza. What you doing remember. out there, man? Yeah, he's up. He went with Mark Lamont Hill <laughs> to Gaza. Um, there is. So, I, 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 I have a lot of emails. We have a lot of emails, and one is on point of that. I want to get back to some of your living problems uh, and such. But uh, this by Spencer, uh, longtime listener, not first time caller, um, is on point to this. Um, the subject line is application to replace Camille. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Matt That's and Michael. Okay, we're listening. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, <clears throat> if he finds me an apartment, then he can he can run the entire show. I mean, I think so, except I'm not sure, as you will see, that he's geographically um, uh, maximized for that uh, purpose. Nor is Camille. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing to alert you to my availability as a replacement for Camille Foster. <laughs> yeah. Not to be overly presumptuous, but it appears Camille is too busy with his West Coast job and West Coast lifestyle. Yeah, that's what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. To fulfill his duties as a co-host of the pod. I think it's only natural that I take this opportunity to put myself forward as the replacement. First, let's start with how I am similar to Camille. One, okay. we were both born in 1980. Okay, mm -hmm. that's pretty good. Two, we both have a wife, kids. Okay. A wife, kids. Yeah. Okay. That's how uh, Spencer, who's a librarian. So that's kind of confusing. Okay. Uh, three, I am also not black. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for that one. I was waiting for that one. Yeah. Four, my son is named Winston. And I believe that makes me at least 50% honorary Jamaican. <laughs> Winston. Yeah. Winston, by the way, is hilarious because it is either the whitest name in the world or the most Jamaican name in the world, which I think is hilarious. That's it. You that's can't figure it out. It's, it's great. He goes on, Spencer, I can tell you're asking yourself, does Camille have a twin? Let us not get ahead of ourselves. Now, I will take the opportunity to explain ways in which I differ from Camille and how okay. those differences can benefit you both directly. Right. Okay, let's, let's okay. hear it. One, I'm from Texas. Your coverage lacks a Texas POV. The, mm -hmm. enti the entire fan base of this year's ALCS, that's the American League Championship Series for you normies, is unrepresented on your pod. 
Um, two, I have zero plans to move and have lived in the same place for over a decade. I kind of have some appreciation for that. Uh, stability and reliability are two cornerstones of my value proposition. Yeah. Three, I too have lived in Europe. I mean, let's face facts. Camille can't keep up with the Czech Scandinavian stories and everyone knows it. It really hurts the show. <laughs> for, for, for I have also lived in South America, South Africa during apartheid. So racial conversation cred, um, New Zealand and Japan. Spencer, I got some questions. Uh, sure, Camille's been to one more continent than I have, but just as a tourist, this global experience can only grow the audience. Five, I am an expert in public libraries and can definitely help out with the absolute lack of public library content. That, oh, the fifth, that the fifthum is sorely missing. As you can see, the frequent absences of Camille have provided us all an opportunity to improve the show. I can corroborate all information request. By the way, if you don't if you don't want to be made fun of by Texas librarians, you gotta show up. It's pretty straightforward. You gotta right? fucking show up. You gotta show up. And the, yeah. the Texas librarians will not be Angling for your job and making fun of your Jamaican pronunciation. It's just a fact. <laughs> uh, he makes the pitch to uh, us to do an Austin show, which we absolutely should. But, we uh, should. Yeah. We should. Um, I just got a text, by the way. Uh-oh. This is apropos of nothing, but I just want to point this out. I just got a text um, of somebody sending me an Elizabeth Warren tweet from 10 hours ago. So today I saw a couple of stories. I don't know what happened, but there was a protest a uh, pro-Palestinian protest and a pro-Israel protester who was, uh, I think in his early 70s, um, died at the protest. Yeah, and, in LA, in the Valley. Yeah, and it appears that it was after a confrontation. So we just, I'm just going to leave it there because I don't know what happened. The police say they don't know what happened. They're trying to find video um, of, of the incident, which I'm sure exists. There was another thing that I saw today of a guy arrested in Arizona who uh, threatening to kill all Jews and then one rabbi in particular and the um, uh, mugshot is, you look at it and you're like, that guy doesn't like Jews. It's just like one of those, it's like an anti-Semitic mugshot. You can see like, this is the guy. So anyway, um, 10 hours ago was this tweet and someone just sent it to me and I just come across the transom now. And this is from Elizabeth Warren. Heard of her. Uh, uh, Yes. She, she, in light of all this stuff, she tweets this. The surge of hate and violence against Muslims, Arabs, and Palestinian Americans is alarming. Um, and then it just goes on to say something about the administration developing a national strategy to counter Islamophobia. It's all up to us to ensure that there's no space for hate in America. Um, I, I don't know. Are we seeing? I, I, this is just in the mind of people. There, people I mean, like there was, a, Warren, there was a stabbing presume. to death, right? A horrible stabbing to death that uh, happened. Uh, uh, of, a, of a child, yeah. Of a child. And we just, talked about it on this podcast. In Chicago, from some, I mean, t- talk about, look at a mugshot. That guy was yeah. looked the most deranged person I've ever seen. Who was apparently friendly with the family for, for um, was the, the landlord and the friendly with the family for years. Um no excusing that, obviously. And um, there's a one or two other things that I've read so far, and I'm sure there's more things we don't know about. Haven't read. There was one. There was one at like a, a like I think at um, either Duke or UNC or something. It turned out to be a hoax. Um, somebody said that somebody was like attacked. By, <laughs> it was like a very Jesse Smollett, uh, a guy who was like wearing a, an Israeli flag as like a cape. 
mm-hmm. was like attacking people. And I'm like, I, I'm, just, I'm not seeing it. I'm sorry, I'm not seeing it. But it reminded me of the Norm MacDonald uh, tweet that people keep going back to from 2016. <laughs> uh, rest in peace, Norm. What terrifies me is if ISIS were to detonate a nuclear device and kill a million Americans, imagine the backlash against peaceful Muslims. If it's, it's as if ISIS were to detonate, by the way. That's, 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 um, it's like the old joke, uh, the old NPR joke, the old joke about him is, is that um, the NPR headline after the world ends, mm-hmm. world ends, uh, women and minorities, minorities hardest, hardest hit. hit. <laughs> it's <laughs> also, which is pretty much pretty funny. You gotta, gotta admit it's funny. It's also uh, funny. Yeah. I, it's, um, I, and there's uh, some letter writers who express, variations on the following trepidations that i have about the climate right now of talking about stuff um i'm a little bit uh like man, the hackles get raised when people start talking overly much about uh it's not safe to be jewish or like there's a there's a uh you know people are, are in physical danger on campuses we've seen horrible things bad things uh, let's say like uh the yeah Jewish kid, I think in the the courtyard of Harvard, who was yeah. sort of like you know all these uh, boxed in. By the way, by the by the editor of the Harvard Law Review, which God damn Harvard, really man. something. I mean, something amazing. I, I just like if if any of this ends up in a course correction uh, against all elite universities in America, I just I'm not going to be unhappy. I earlier today, I. Uh, interviewed recent guest of ours, uh, Greg Lukianoff, uh, for C-SPAN, the C-SPAN books thing to talk about his book. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, he reminded me of his own longstanding, like, you know what? That's not the worst thing in the world to have a little, little course correction there for these yeah. elite universities. Uh, partly because, uh, and this isn't, you know, it's actually a pretty Moynihan-esque argument that he has, um, that the mere, you know, doubling of price of higher education in a pretty short period of time is in itself a bad thing for basically elites to self-reproduce um, yeah. and then to self-reproduce uh, their homogenous, increasingly homogenous political ideas, which they then enforce in a way that doesn't have respect for the rights of a uh, of a minority, ideological minority in there and like uh i think there's something to that and i want to give credit to batya ungar sargon um which is not a real name batya let's be honest about that it never was um but um she has come out and she's a you know uh she's a friend uh and an absolutely crazy person uh who talked about in this podcast (laughs) um she describes herself as like uh like you know you know defiantly left-wing trump supporter um Okay. Sure. Uh, but like her book about the media is, oh, and we haven't talked to her about it, but um, it, I think, is one of the most interesting ones that has come out over the last five years in which it's pretty much class-based. And I think she's pretty much right, um, which is to say that journalism has become this tradecraft um, of kind of elites. It's part of the elite uh, replication strategy. And, and in the long uh, scheme of things, the journalism that I grew up with was produced um, – still with about half kind of like working class, like schlubs um, who didn't necessarily graduate from college and, and didn't have those uh, high flute ideas that began to really change in the seventies and eighties. But um, 
Uh, and she points to a lot of the things that we don't like about modern journalism as being kind of an out of touch class thing. It's similar to what Robert Kagan has talked about in the division between, you know, military families and the kind of governing and journalistic class. Like people don't even know anyone in the military or any family that's in the military. And that separation is bad. She applies that there. And why I bring her up in this case, not only to praise her for that, but also uh, she came out and said to my fellow, you know, uh, Israel allies in this moment, don't do the safetyism thing. Don't over exaggerate your sense of physical dread. Um, if you do have physical dread, that's terrible. And we're going to like do everything and criticize everybody who give you that physical dread. And certainly getting into some kind of physical altercation with a senior citizen in the valley in in uh, Los Angeles ends up in a death. It's horrifying. And, uh, and I'm afraid that we're going to see more of that. And, you know, I have like a lot of people do a sense of trepidatiousness about, about this right now. Um, but also let's not um, those who, um, uh, you know, are, are a little bit uh, or a lot of bit uh, exercised about the nonsense on college campuses Let's not suddenly adopt all of the same kind of like sure. language and fragility sure. that we've seen in other people. And I think there's something to that. I think there is too. And, you know, I, I used to do this thing when my, my grandfather, I think I mentioned this in the podcast before, long, long time ago, uh, when my grandfather first told me about his uh, war experience um, in North Africa and then in Italy up to the border of Austria, um, I used to imagine, like, it, despite the fact that all the war films at the time were very clean, in the sense that, you know, there was no blood and guts, and that's why Saving Private Ryan was so revelatory it's to people, really which was. was very, very bloody, versus, you know, um, you know, Rat Patrol or something, <laughs> Hogan's Heroes, that everything was kind of bloodless in the most literal way, you didn't see blood. And But I somehow realized that that was wrong, and because, I mean, I, th I think the way he described things to me, but I always think about that when it was really cold. Honestly, I would, I, when I was like 12 years old or something, I remember like walking to school or to the bus. School would be younger, but then the bus, and it would just be freezing New England cold. And I would be like, my grandfather had to deal with a lot more hmm. than this. This is really stupid that I'm complaining about this. Because I, I loved him so much. He was like my, he raised me in the summers and when my parents worked and he was fantastic. So it always gave me that thing. And I've been thinking about that just because when people are tired, it's not to minimize any of this stuff, is that stuff is very real. There's people that are very aggressive. Um, I think it's far worse in places like Paris and, and London than it is in the United States. But it's very real. People should be, you know, attentive uh, to this stuff and and not, um, you know, keep their guard down or anything. But at the same time, think of Israel. Uh, the Israelis live, you know, it's like you get our, our, our friend Yael who, you know, sends videos of her coming out of, very, very funny, like coming out of a bomb shelter at a bar. They had to leave the bar when they were, you know, Tel Aviv is an insanely fun city. And, and she sends a picture of everyone doing shots because the bar, uh, the 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 bar owner, the bartender gave everybody shots. Like, all right, we're out of the bomb shelter. Let's let's drink some shots. You know, if somebody's being rude to you or mean to you or says nasty things. Um, yeah, that you should talk about it. You should tweet about it. You should you know expose that person, whatever it might be. But it's it is rather different um, when one looks at what Israelis are um, have to have to live live through. Um, you know, and and not to say nothing of of uh, people on the other side of that too. So just in general, things are a lot worse other places. Jake, so. Jacob has a, 
uh, follow-up email to uh, a, um, a recent comment that you made, Monahan. Um, I'm skipping over his nice words. Uh, and then uh, in one of your recent episodes on Israel, the topic of Irish sympathy for Hamas came up. Yeah. And sure. Michael made a joke akin to, well, you know, terrorists and sympathizers do tend to hang out with each other. Yeah, they do. Uh, this came to mind again for me when I saw the videos last week, which he links to, of the Scottish football club Celtic FC fans waving thousands of Palestinian flags at a recent sure. game and yeah. singing, you'll never walk alone. <laughs> so yeah. my question is, can you expand on this topic a bit, i.e. specific ties between any of these orgs? In the UK, US, Africa, Middle East, elsewhere, yeah. the history of specific people slash actors in these movements that connected their movements, uh, any one of the six to 10 books that Michael would recommend related to this. Um, and then he uh, PS'd, uh, by the way, this photo, which he linked to, came across my feed recently, speaks to the exact topic. So I thought I'd add um, it's Judith Clark. At a free Palestine rally yeah. in New York City, yeah. I think we even mentioned this. Of course, these did, two yeah. these two groups have the same members attending their rallies, even though they have basically nothing to do with each other. Theoretically, what exactly does a Marxist movement for a black for black liberation in America have to do with a bunch of Palestinians fighting for a piece of land in the Middle East, except uh -huh. a shared love of terrorist tactics and shared hatred for basically just Jews, capitalists? Jewish capitalists. <laughs> it's like the intersectionality of terrorists theory. I really think there's something to this concept. What say you, Monica? Uh Yeah, let me do this really fast. I'm going to try to do this in like two minutes, maybe less, because I've talked about it before. I don't want to be repetitive on the subject. The IRA and the PLO and the PFLP, the two major Palestinian terrorist organizations of the 70s and 80s, cooperated, of course. And despite the fact that Yasser Arafat the head of the PLO, tried to slightly distance himself from the IRA after the bombing that killed Lord Mountbatten and a child that was on the boat with Mountbatten and a couple other people, I think. Um, so that that relationship is, is very, very old. And the reason that that is very, very old is because the PFLP in particular, which people often forget about, which is the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, was a Marxist-Leninist group, as was the provisional IRA. The real, the, the original IRA split off and the, the provosts were very, very left-wing, very, very Marxist. Um, so they all trained together. They all knew each other. They, they made deals together. I mean, the, and the Arab connection was all of those weapons. Like, for instance, the very famous ship that was stopped um, that was carrying a, just an unbelievable amount of weapons for the IRA came from Libya. The Libyans uh, made common cause with all these people because their common enemy was the United Kingdom. But that common enemy thing, on top of the fact that, you know, people forget that Lib Libya was also the Marxist Jamaharia. That's what they called the Jamaharia was the, the invention of the fevered brain of Muammar Gaddafi. So that is the connection. And now the modern connection is a lot of that stuff. There's a lot of kind of residual stuff there. And there is not, it's not a coincidence that this settler colonial talk is in everybody's mouths. I mean, nobody, you didn't hear this phrase outside of the university until October 7th. And now everyone's talking about settler colonial thing. Cause it, it's, it's like a kind of a, the Marxist concept, the left-wing concept of colonialism. You hear, you've heard about this land acknowledgements and everything. And then Bill Maher made a funny joke about that of like people doing land acknowledgements in Israel. But um, that kind of thing, it, it is the presumption 
the PLO stuff made a lot more sense because there was a lot more ideological unity between the PLO, the PFLP, the Black Panthers, the New Left, uh, you know, Brigada Rosa in Italy, the Bader Meinhof in, in Germany, etc. That made sense. The Japanese Red Army, for instance, the insane terrorist group of Japanese radicals that people forget about that killed an insane number of people. But they trained in Palestinian camps in various places like Jordan, Yemen, etc. So that's where it comes from. But today, it is certainly something that has we, to do with... We know of new methods of attack. Look, you got 20-some-odd minutes. Not bad. For free. So go over to wethefifth.substack.com and subscribe to listen to the rest. And here, Matt and I talk about Roger Waters and not about Pink Floyd, but about Roger Waters and listen to some audio of Roger Waters. And again, not listen to Roger Waters in Pink Floyd. And we talk about some music too, much to the displeasure of some of you and the great joy of others. Uh, we talk about the final Beatles single, uh, if it can even be classified as such. Okay. We the fifth.substack.com will be back with a freebie with Camille in a couple days. <laughs>